Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail. We welcome you to this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling. Coming up on today's show, we'll be joined by Eric Miao, the Chief Customer Officer at Attentive. He'll join us to discuss how retailers are using SMS and text messaging to communicate with customers. Moreover, he'll talk about how retailers should be using those mediums to communicate with customers. In news, we'll talk about a sporting goods retailer. It's our quarterly visit to the sporting goods retail category. And in our looking ahead story, we'll talk about seasonal sales, but not the type of seasonal sales that many people are discussing this time of year. Well, a reminder that you can like us, rate us, however you access us. If you enjoy the show, you can give us a rating on Spotify or iTunes or whatever that may be such that other people can find our show. We certainly do appreciate those. You can also check us out on social media at Retail Podcast, both Instagram and Twitter. And a big thank you to Quantum Metric, once again, our partner for sponsoring today's show and making today's show possible. Now, let's get to the news segment without further ado. Again, we like to take a quarterly look into the sports and outdoors retail segment as we spread it around here on the Retail Focus podcast And we wanted today to look at Academy Sports and Outdoors earnings that took place on Thursday, September 9th. Now, this was for their fiscal second quarter ending July 31st, 2020. As a quick refresher, Academy still somewhat of a regional chain, but they are a large one in this category. They're based out of the Houston, Texas metro area. As of quarter's end, they had 259 stores in 16 states, many of which around the same square footage or even slightly larger than a Dick's Sporting Goods. Some of them I've seen have even taken over former Kmart locations, so you're looking really at some of them being up to sixty or 70,000 square feet. They tend to be, in terms of the merchandise mix, a little bit more outdoors-focused than Dick's, locations featuring a greater selection of water sports gear, fishing equipment, hunting items, than your typical Dick's will. However, a similar clothing selection a bit less in the way of sports equipment versus, say, uh, Dunham's sports, for example, but quite a bit in terms of team sports and that type of thing. However, like Dunham's and like Hibbit Sports, who we talk about from time to time on the show, Academy is willing to set up shop in smaller markets in the Southern Plains. Not small markets per se, just smaller markets for Academy mid-sized ones such as Joplin, Missouri and Galveston, Texas, both towns around 50,000 people, although the metro area well into the hundreds of thousands in both cases, still not areas that typically support a Dick's Sporting Goods. As far as numbers for Academy is concerned, it's clear that the push towards recreation that we saw during the first COVID summer, that's continued into 2021. Overall sales grew 11.5%, to an all-time high for the second quarter of $1.79 billion. Comps grew in line, or close at least, in line with overall sales. They grew 11.4%. The ability of stores to be fully open in their markets drove traffic back to brick and mortar. Now, comps including e-com sales last year were up 27% as a company. So sales last year strong largely on the influence of e-com sales. This year almost entirely the strength of brick-and-mortar stores reopening. So as a consequence, you see e-commerce sales down this quarter 0.9%. 
Not altogether surprising considering the drops seen by other retailers in this area, not just in sports and outdoors, but specialty retailers in general. Again, the uneven nature of their stores having been open in last year's second quarter caused that surge in e-com orders that we saw last year. That happened for everyone. I'm telling you this and it's no surprise to you, but I do want to preface with that because two-year stack numbers for Academy came in at an increase of 207.2%. So e-com's still way up over where it was pre-pandemic, but did take a slight step back as those stores reopened. And you know, for Academy, maybe not as vital as it is for other retailers, because as we talk about so often in the sports and outdoor space, people like to try out gear, they like to try out equipment before they buy. That's tougher to do in e-commerce. It's accompanied by a lot of returns if the fit just isn't right. As such, e-commerce penetration for Academy is just 8.4% of sales, and over half of that is buy online, pick up, and store. So relatively little going straight from the distribution or fulfillment centers to people's houses. And so if you are very bullish about e-commerce sales continuing to increase in the future, you might say, well, there is room for growth here for Academy. But given this space, I think growth is going to be tempered somewhat as you head into the next 10 years as far as e-commerce is concerned for sporting goods specifically. Now, sales weren't the only thing setting records. They also set a record with their highest quarterly profit, gross profit, that is, in any quarter in the company's history, came in at $642.5 million, a rate of 35.9%. And again, for these type of companies, summer is a big time of year because you have all of these holidays on a week-by-week level, in fact, Academy was setting records. They said on the call itself, they set sales records for the weeks surrounding Memorial Day, Father's Day, and the 4th of July. And again, this is the emphasis on that sports and outdoors portion. Take nothing away from apparel, which had a really good quarter, but typically for retailers that like, say, Dick's, you might see those apparel sales tick up in the fourth quarter as they head into the holiday season. For Academy, they benefited not only from apparel and shoe sales, but those sporting goods sales because of the summer months as well. As a result of all of this, net income jumped to $190.5 million in this year's second quarter from $167.7 million last year. That is, by the way, a whopping 10.7% of net sales. That's one of the best margins in retail as a whole. Not quite RH levels if you're looking at them, but overall retail, they certainly rank in the top 10%. They beat per share analyst estimates as a result of all of this by about 52% in terms of earnings per share. By the way, Academy, no debt on their revolving line of credit as well. Now, we mentioned in last week's show about how some retailers have been hesitant to credit macro factors for their success. None of that on this call. Academy was very transparent about saying, hey, some of the reasons why we are selling at such a high rate have to do with the overall economy as a whole and with overall momentum in the space in which we do business. People continuing to go outside, people continuing to recreate. And leadership on the call said, hey, we really feel like people found something in 2020 when they were cooped up in their homes for a little bit during the spring, went outside in the summer. They hiked, they biked, they 
participated in various sports. Golf saw a massive increase as we talked with the CEO of PGA Tour Superstore earlier this year about. So all of those kind of parlaying itself into continued strength in this sporting goods sector. And that overall strength, of course, helped in terms of Academy. Now, part of it does have to do with their execution and their momentum as well. In stocks would be a good example of that. Again, slightly a function of macro factors like supply chain being in a slightly better spot today than a year ago. But you have to give credit to the partnerships they have forged with their major suppliers. They focused a lot on this area as a company. Inventory on a per store level up nearly 25% over last year. Inventory as a whole was up sequentially over the first quarter. So looking first quarter versus second quarter, it was up 3.2%. And like I said, it's those big manufacturers that they've got partners with. That's a big reason why their in-stocks have been helped. Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, Columbia, North Face, they all earned shout-outs on the call. Sales of all those products are up. Those are products that are easier for Academy to stock. They are easier on the supply chain to stock. And they also carry a pretty high margin too. So benefit on multiple levels. But the fact that they have a major pipeline to these suppliers and the fact that these suppliers seem to really value their partnership with Academy speaks volumes about where the company is at here in 2021. Now, when you break down sales, areas of particular demand that is above the company's mean sales increases, which again were low double digits this quarter, talking apparel, footwear, field, fitness, and team sports. Team sports, that's a category Dix would very much like to dominate. They have been transparent themselves over the last couple of years about trying to build some momentum in that category. But it seems like Academy gotten a little bit of a head start there. Team sports for Academy, that category up 50%, 5-0% over 2019. This despite the fact that Although team sports are more or less back to normal in 2021, you saw that big step back and a lot of team sports being played in 2020. So massive leaps and bounds there for Academy, positive signs going forward. I talked about apparel and footwear having a great quarter. Apparel sales were up 19% versus last year, 37% versus 2019. Footwear up 15% versus last year and 27% versus 2019. Something they mentioned specifically in terms of apparel, something to watch for, momentum around casual workwear. They said on the call, we are seeing a ton of customers come in, some of them returning to work, some of them going back to offices on a part-time basis, still working from home sometimes, but they're looking for more casual workwear as workplaces have eased dress codes. That means a flow of customers looking for things like polos, looking for things like golf slacks. Well, that's exactly something that Academy carries. Also something, of course, their competitors carry in terms of dicks, in terms of Hibbit. And that's something to note also for the Golf Galaxies and the PGA Tour superstores of the world. Could be seeing sales momentum in that area of apparel and maybe something about which department stores could stand to take note. They also noted licensed sports gear beginning to move again. And that's a segment that even before the pandemic hadn't seen a lot of momentum for the prior few years. But as people have begun to attend games in person again, Academy has said, hey, we're seeing a lot of movement in this category. We're seeing a lot of positive sales. And where Academy's located, football is 
King, and they have seen that momentum carry right into the third quarter as football season starts. They're excited for their third quarters. Back-to-school sales were very robust, but also team sports apparel, licensed apparel, very, very popular in their stores right now as football season picks up. And really what should be a full college football season, as many teams didn't play a full schedule last year. So a lot of positives here to see out of 2021 as they work their way. Not out of the pandemic necessarily, but through the pandemic. Now, regarding their profitability at Academy, once again, a lack of markdowns that was tabbed as a big reason, something we were hearing from every retailer right now. But a lot of it has been scale. You can't ignore the sales figures jumping up the way they have and the way they've been able to leverage that a little bit in terms of their profitability. Their average sales per square foot are up 20% when you crunch the numbers. So that means deleveraged rent costs for the retailer. As a result, they said on the call, get this, 100% of their stores, all of their stores are profitable on a trailing 12-month basis as a result. And that's taking place during a pandemic. Quite amazing what Academy has done in terms of brick and mortar over the past year. There was a single negative on the call, and we kind of dug for it. It might be the fishing category that was down slightly versus last year's Q2, still up over 2019. Part of that is due to the cadence of fishing sales, which really picked up last June and July, June and July of 2020. They said they weren't able to successfully lap those, but they still feel as though because people took up fishing as a hobby, sales will be strong on a go-forward basis. So even the negative they were able to speak about in positive terms on the call. Overall, an overwhelming success of a quarter, I think you'd have to call this for Academy. And again, a newly public company, you really wonder what the next few years hold, especially with their strength in brick and mortar. Gotta think they might be tossing around the idea of further brick and mortar expansion in the next few years. Well, coming up after this break, we'll be joined by Eric Miao. Once again, he is the Chief Customer Officer at Attentive, we're going to talk about SMS and text messaging, how retailers are currently using that medium, how retailers should be using the medium, and also how retailers can leverage text messaging to connect with customers that want to hear from them without sounding corporate and overdone. heard me talk about it the last few weeks, but this is one of my last calls here to the digital leaders out there. You know, it's time to know what your customer is experiencing. A lot of people think they know what their customer is experiencing, but they don't actually know what their customer is experiencing. And not only that, they don't know the magnitude to which this experience is taking place. Kind of a silent majority effect. And I think quantum metric might be able to help you out. You know, holiday season, basically we're into September already begun 2021 e-commerce sales during the holiday season something we'll talk about next week on the show they're expected to exceed the high levels we saw during last year's holiday season and you should be prepared to capture every customer revenue opportunity if you're a digital leader at a retailer and like i said with quantum metric you absolutely can be they take a unique approach to the digital customer experience which helps today's top retailers i'm talking retailers like Bass Pro Shops, Tractor Supply Company, Crate and Barrel, so many others identify and prioritize 
big and small revenue opportunities that keep customers engaged and coming back. You definitely want to stay off the naughty list this holiday season by reducing customer friction, increasing conversions, and personalizing the shopping experience. If you want a sneak peek, visit them at quantummetric.com slash podoffer and see if you qualify to receive their 12 days of insights offer with code retail focus. Again, all one word code retail focus. It's quantummetric.com slash pod offer. This offer gives you 12 day access to their platform coupled with a bespoke insight report that will help you identify where customers are struggling or engaging in your digital product. Restrictions apply. Once again, quantummetric.com slash pod offer code retail focus. That information is in the show notes. Highly recommend you check it out. It's time is running out on this promotion. As consumers are more frequently using forms of communication that are novel to the last, well, really 20 years, retailers too must update their methods of communicating with their customers. And one such method of communication at retailers' disposal is SMS or text messaging. How are retailers currently using this medium? And perhaps more importantly, how should they be using this medium? Here to answer those questions and more is Eric Meow, the Chief Customer Officer at Attentive. Eric, welcome to the show today. It's great to be here. Thanks, Trent. First, I was wondering if you could share just a little bit about what Attentive does really on the day-to-day as far as their relationship with retailers. Sure. Uh, So Attentive is a personalized text message marketing platform. And so we've been really fortunate to work with a lot of innovative brands, DTC retailers. And our goal is to sort of make SMS into a top three revenue channel for them. And so What we'll do is we will get real-time data from stores, from websites to automatically send out, you know, personalized messages across the customer lifecycle. And we will also work with them to send, you know, really high impact targeted marketing campaigns that are meant to reach people either to drive in-store traffic, to drive online traffic. Uh, And of course, we'll also work with them to build the channel. So we have a bunch of different growth tools that they can use to begin making an SMS channel because a lot of people have still not actually started doing that. And that was going to be my next question because I know Attentive released a a report back in May that said there's still quite a few, and it surprised me, there's still quite a few retailers that haven't jumped into the SMS swimming pool. As you look across the entire retail landscape, not just Attentive's customers, of course, what is the current state of SMS as it pertains to retail use? Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, I, I've been here the whole history of Attentive. And so when we started doing this in whatever, 2016, 2017, it felt like basically no one was doing SMS. And we would show up and people would tell us like, hey, that's a thing from 15 or 20 years ago. And we were like, no, it's it's different now. It's, it's definitely a much more engaged and evolved channel. And What's been amazing is, you know, for us, it looks like use of SMS has skyrocketed over the last four or five years, but most customers still like innovative brands. You still have probably 50, 55% of the overall landscape that doesn't have SMS yet as a channel. And so when you look at the actual consumer trends, you have something like 75% of all sort of like e-commerce sales coming from mobile, it's kind of crazy to us that SMS is still this thing that we know performs amazingly well and that customers want. Like Something like 90% of people who we surveyed say they want to hear from brands, but 
half of them are still not doing it. And so for retailers, it's a huge opportunity still for them to add this kind of channel to their overall toolkit. And I'm kind of curious because you've been doing this for some time now. What are some ways in which SMS has changed in terms of being a marketing tool for retailers since, let's say, you know, 2006, 2007? Yeah, the retailers data is honestly the thing that they're getting control over. And so you're starting to see CIOs at these companies have a lot more maybe like sway and influence internally to begin getting these old legacy systems, whether it's point of sale data into something that is a little bit bigger of a data store so that you can start to combine that with the online data that they have. And so when we're working with a retailer, some of the most sophisticated brands that we work with, they're giving us real-time data from their in-store purchases. They're giving us real-time data from their online stuff. They're giving us real-time data for their actual ad spend externally on things like Facebook and Google. And we're using that to personalize the messages. And then we're giving that data back to them. And so the level of sophistication that you can have in a program right now has grown tremendously we'll be perfectly happy to work with someone to get it up and running. Cause again, you know, a lot of brands are still not doing it, but the brands that are really at the forefront of this have really strong in-house technology teams that really elevate the overall effectiveness of the channel. So I referenced the marketing benchmarks report from this year that attentive put out, but I wanted to shift gears a little bit and look at the SMS marketing consumer trends survey from this year where attentive released data there. What were some of the key findings in that particular survey or what were some of the findings that stood out to you as it pertains to consumers' acceptance of SMS? Yeah, what's really great is that I think the level of enthusiasm is what keeps going up. And so, you know, you've got something like 90% of consumers who are interested in signing up, but 70% of consumers are extremely likely or likely to want to connect with a brand. And so that has continued to increase. I mean, we, we did this first survey probably four or five years ago, and it was, you know, in the in the 70s of people who were into SMS and, you know, in the 40s or 50s of people who were extremely excited. And so the consumer adoption keeps going up and up. And then I think you also see where people are doing their shopping. People who are only shopping on a desktop device is like six or seven percent now. And so uh, it used to be like, oh, you know, mobile is just for comparison shopping, but like then you'll go and you sort of do the actual purchasing on desktop. That's just not true anymore. You're seeing that the purchases are happening on mobile more and more, and that desktop is just a shrinking share of the overall sort of landscape. You know, I think it's interesting because as you mentioned, the channel through which people purchase has changed pretty significantly over the last two to three years. And I'm kind of curious, as far as your approach, your method to communication that retailers are using surrounding this channel, surrounding the mobile channel specifically, as far as trying to drive engagement, drive purchases, I was kind of curious how the retailer's approach has shifted now in SMS versus before when maybe a lot of purchases were happening via desktop or laptop. Yeah, the focus on conversion rate is definitely becoming the overarching thing. And, and that's bigger than just SMS. So 
brands consistently are correct that the overall conversion rate on desktop is higher than it is on mobile. That has been a trend for a long time, but that gap is shrinking. And so what a lot of people are really focused on right now is what can I do to increase conversion rate on my site? And there's a lot of actual technology things that people should totally do to increase conversion rate on their sites. But what a lot of our partners see is that the traffic coming from SMS is converting significantly higher. And the reason why is that they're signing up a lot of those people on their mobile site in the first place. And so they're basically capturing this mobile audience from a CRM standpoint and then messaging back to them on their preferred sort of communication path, which is, of course, still on their phone. And so you're seeing that the conversion rates for SMS are significantly higher than for the other channels that they're working with. And so they're trying to capture more of the sort of like top of funnel to their website, convert them to SMS subscribers, and then market back to them uh, and reach them for whatever reason, back through that same channel. And that is helping to lift overall conversion rate on the site as this consumer shift is happening. One theme that's kind of flowed through our conversation is the theme that you know people do want to hear from their favorite brands more often. And this is something that's come up in, in a lot of research. And I wanted to ask you about this. You know, The data produced by human insights firm Jackman suggested that while customers do want to hear from their favorite brands, initially they tend to be maybe a little bit wary. I don't think suspicious is the right word, but maybe not entirely 100% trusting of messages from corporations, if you will. What's the key to ensuring that messages from retailers remain welcomed and people remain opted into these programs for their customers? Because it's fairly easy, I would guess, in this medium to appear maybe spammy or too corporate or too boilerplate. Yeah, we think about that a lot, honestly. So the good news here is that the actual rules in place, both from the carriers as well as from the actual laws that have been passed, are meant to protect consumers from bad behavior. So if you're AT&T or Sprint or T-Mobile or Verizon, you care about the happiness of the people who are paying you. You're less focused on brand sending text messages you're more focused on consumers having a good experience. And so what we do is, you know, we make sure people know what they're signing up for. So the compliance aspect for growing an SMS channel is really crucial. You wanna be very upfront when you're giving someone the opportunity to join your SMS program of what are they signing up for exactly? And what are the terms? And are they gonna get a lot of messages? Like that has to be available for the people who wanna see that. And people need to take an action. So what we'll do is we'll make sure if someone is on a mobile site, you know, we pioneered this sort of two-tap experience where the consumer is actually sending in the message to the brand saying, you know, I want to opt in for this. And so that is extremely important for making sure that later when they get a message, they're not like, wait a second. Where, where did I sign up for this? Like, I don't, I don't remember this. Like, this is spam. That's not what's going to happen. People are going to say, oh, yeah, I can see in my text message history, I signed up for this. I sent in this first message. I got my welcome message. I got a reminder of, of what I just signed up for. And now when I'm seeing future messages, that makes sense. And, you know, I trust that this is an experience I'm taking part in that I chose we also want to make sure that the messages are relevant. And so we want to make sure that when someone is getting stuff, 
that's useful to them. So if they bought something and they're getting a transactional message, they know that that's something that's triggered by their own behavior and they love that. So making sure that you're sending people things that they want is really important. And then brands have their own voice. There are some brands that even if it didn't say the brand name at the beginning of the message, and it has to say that, I would still know exactly who it is because the brand speaks in such a kind of consistent, friendly, on-brand way. And so all of that stuff adds up for people. If they wanted to opt out, they know exactly how to opt out. Doing that is really easy. We actually make it sort of like we go above and beyond. We know that there are typos. If someone replies, you know, STPP instead of STOP, we know they probably were trying to say stop and we'll make sure that we give them a reminder of how to opt out. So as long as you're being upfront with people about what they signed up for and how to get out of it if they don't want it, then people love getting the messages. You mentioned a little bit about referencing brand voices in these messages, and sometimes you know what a brand is just from the type of voice that they're using. And I'm curious, you know, obviously everything in retail, whether it be marketing or communication and so forth, it's not one size fits all because retail encompasses such a large swath of different companies, different objectives. I was wondering if you could give a few examples as to how retailers might kind of leverage their brands differently within text messages across the retail spectrum. Yeah, it's a great question. I would say that there are some brands where they take advantage of you know every part of the message. And so Third Love is actually a brand that comes to mind for me. They're a D2C brand. And so when they're sending messages, not only are they getting people to sign up sort of in particular flows. And so, you know, that's a brand that's focused on inclusivity and, you know, very sort of embraces all different kinds of body types. When you're signing up for SMS, you may be signing up throughout the process of going through their like highly personalized, you know, fit finder quiz or something. When they're sending messages, they are making sure that they are sending, you know, lifestyle imagery that shows all of the different diverse body types. And when you're getting the messages from them, you know, it is about sort of like restocks and particular things you might have looked at or very limited time things. And you would feel happy and comfortable getting that message. There are other brands I can think of that have, say, tried to alleviate, you know, problems that might have been actually happening in store and making SMS more of a delightful experience. And so the brand we work with, Kendra Scott, which is a jewelry company based out of Texas, have, I think it's 100 or so stores, but they had a lot of lines for holidays. And so normally people waiting in line get to the counter, they're kind of upset. What they did that was really smart was, you know, they put these QR codes in the stores where you could actually go through, you could scan it with your phone, go through this kind of like little questionnaire, sign up for SMS, get a discount that you could use immediately in store. And so they were giving people a discount for sort of like waiting in line and, you know, getting them to sign up for their SMS program. It drove a large increase in the number of people who they could then market to later. And so it was a way of, you know, using SMS to kind of like deliver something very timely immediately that you know made people happy in a situation that they wouldn't have been and then also grew that company's ability to market to those people later knowing that they were someone who is going to actually go back to stores and so you can use sms in a variety of different ways to accomplish those different kinds of use cases 
I wanted to follow up on that because you talk about kind of that very unique sign-up pathway from the retailer's perspective with the QR code in the checkout. And I know that's a, a big focus for Attentive in terms of getting that sign-up pathway right for customers. And we've already talked about what it looks like from the customer's perspective, but I'm curious, what are some different ways that retailers are leveraging to drive these signups, whether they be in-store, as we already discussed, or on their e-com sites? Yeah, you know, a retailer should use every means that they can to grow their, their list. And so, honestly, the biggest underused piece of real estate for retailers continues to be their website. There are so many that have, and they know this, you know, under-optimized sites, whether it's under-optimized for desktop or mobile for the conversion path, or, you know, they don't have the right sort of ways to get someone through to purchase. Getting people who visit those sites, which have tons of traffic, to convert to SMS and be a resource that you can reach later is critical. So, you know, Attentive has like two dozen different kinds of ways of getting someone to sign up. We have an entire design team that's just focused on sort of creating those very beautiful on-brand experiences so that they fit in naturally with what the retailer is doing. Anyone who is trying to grow an SMS program, retailer or not, start on your site. For retailers, if you have the sort of right infrastructure in place from a point of sale standpoint, getting people to give you their phone number at where they're going to make a purchase is amazing. I worked in retail, you know, in college, and I remember going, being behind the register, having to do whatever the, the sort of like flavor of the month was, whether it was, you know, credit cards or email address, whatever, getting people to sign up for SMS there is extremely valuable. And if you have, you know, printed signs throughout the store, trying to get people to do different things, placing those near the register and saying, hey, you know, by the way, if you sign up for SMS right now, you'll be able to get a discount that you can either use in this purchase or on your next purchase. That's an extremely beneficial thing for the consumer. And so, you know, they love when that's available to them. It really just comes down to having a good sort of omni-channel marketing approach though, because you want to make sure that the digital team who may be running the SMS program has a good relationship with the store team that is going to have to actually train those associates. But if you can get that working on both fronts, that's incredibly powerful. We've talked about a few instances or circumstances where retailers are leveraging SMS, but I'm curious, you know, I know Attentive works with a large variety of retail brands, a lot of them recognizable, certainly to our listeners, CB2 and Michaels among them. I was wondering if you could walk us through the process as you begin to work with and assist a retailer in affecting and implementing effective SMS strategy, because we've talked a little bit about it in bits and pieces, but I'm curious how that conversation starts and continues with a retailer. Yeah, the thing that we want to do is we want to make sure that we understand really clearly at the beginning of our relationship with one of our customers, what is the goal and how are we going to measure the success of that? And you know, one of the things for a retailer that's a little bit different from you know a D2C brand is there is a larger attribution question that you want to make sure that there's at least a clear answer to for, hey, how is SMS actually doing? Because you have this pretty robust multi-touch engagement model that you might be working with to try and see how did this work within the overall strategy. We will make sure that we have that conversation at the beginning, middle, and end of the early stages of our relationship with someone, really to make sure that internally within the marketing team, 
that whoever we're working with can advocate for the success of the channel. And that has been extremely, extremely helpful, I think, for our partners. The other thing is that we will have very predictable sort of technology questions that are going to come up around how is this going to work with XYZ part of our marketing stack. We will make sure that we have these technical resources available so that we can speed that along. I think a lot of retailers are still a little bit constrained for their own bandwidth for standing up any kind of you know new innovative marketing channel. And so we want to have those resources on our side because we know that the retailer may not have it internally. But once you have that squared away, we want to work to set up an initial kind of strategy. And so if we can put together some sort of 30 or 60, 90 day plan for how SMS is going to contribute, that will set the stage for all of the kind of internal standard ways that people then evaluate the success of a launch. Insofar as what the goals are going to be, they're going to look a lot like anyone else's goals, which are we want to make more money. We want to do that in a way that is really high ROI. We want to make sure that it fits in nicely with the other things that we're doing. We want to make sure that the data that we're giving to Attentive, we want to make sure that we get it back from Attentive. And so if we can do that, that's amazing. And in terms of CB2 and Michaels are actually both great examples. They also launched during holidays, both of them in Q4. And so we also do everything we can to be nimble. There is in any kind of large technology relationship that we're going to have with a retailer, you could do everything under the sun. You just can't do it in 30 days during holidays. And so making sure that we have a really clear upfront plan of, hey, step one, let's just get people to sign up. Let's get some sort of online data coming into the system. Let's set up these really high touch, high engagement messages and and begin putting together a marketing strategy around general kind of segments. That's a great place to start. You do not have to set up every single thing out of the gate. And so we'll also stage how we're going to roll something out so that someone can be nimble and launch something that's going to make an impact even, you know, during holidays. That's incredible. It seems <laughs> I'm just laughing over here because, you know, typically Q's one through three for most retailers are the the quarters that they would attempt to run something out in. But I think that's an interesting approach is just starting simply with driving the signups and working on the rest going from there. We've talked a little bit about the current state of SMS as it pertains to retail. As someone who does this on the day-to-day, what do you see as the future basically of text messaging in retail or SMS in retail and retailers using it, aside from more people, of course, using that and implementing it? Yeah, we believe really strongly that the unique thing about SMS is that there's a well-ingrained expectation that you can reply to the message. So if you get an email from a brand, it may come from like no reply at please don't reply back to us because we can't handle it.com. Like you are not supposed to engage with the brand. When you get an SMS, it's a reasonable expectation that if you reply back, something is going to happen. And so we have pretty good relationships with a lot of the CX providers to make sure that, you know, we can act as a a go-between so that a brand can have that kind of authentic, you know, human one-to-one relationship. But there are bandwidth constraints for our customers for staffing up doing that. And so we actually acquired a company a couple of months ago called Tone, which specialized in that 
AI-assisted, human-powered concierge messaging, we are extremely confident that those kind of like one-to-one conversations at scale where a brand can say, hey, you know, it's Black Friday, we have this great deal, et cetera. If you have any questions though, once you get to the site, reply back to us and like, we are here to help you. And then setting that expectation that, great, I'm on the site, but I actually, I see that this thing is selling out fast, but I don't know if it's like my size or not. Let me just reply back to see how the sizing works. That's magical. We feel extremely strongly that that's the future of the channel. And you bring up an interesting point, and we'll close on this because it is very much and always has been text messaging, at least expected to be a two-way channel, whether it be between person to person or a brand and their customer. You mentioned, of course, leaving the door open for customers to text back or even soliciting that text back. But in the current state of SMS, I'm curious about how often you see customers texting back or attempting to interact there. Yeah, it really comes down to the expectations that you set. And so we have some brands that the first message that you get from them is, hey, here's our contact. Here's our branded contact that you can save to your address book. And if you ever have any questions, text us back. And, you know, obviously those people have extremely high response rates all the time for all sorts of messages. And we have other brands that have not leaned into that because they may not have the support level. And so If you go and you tell someone, hey, save my number and text me back, they do that. And so what's really great is that I think consumers want that. That's just the next phase of where we're going to get to, where the brand is comfortable setting that expectation because they can actually meet that expectation because they're working with someone like us who is able to actually do that for them. Some great insight about this subject. Once again, Eric Miao, Chief Customer Officer at Attentive. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it was a pleasure, Trent. Thank you so much. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. We thank Eric for joining us. And we're also excited about next week's upcoming interview. We'll be talking with Rod Sides from Deloitte once again joining us on the show. Anytime he joins the show, it's must-listen programming. They're releasing their preliminary 2021 holiday sales projections this coming week, and we'll be happy to be joined by him to discuss the ins and outs of the numbers and preview their October report, which goes a little bit more in-depth as well. He'll also talk about how other seasonal sales this year might inform holiday seasonal sales. And speaking of seasonal sales, that's our looking ahead segment. You know, everyone this week on into the holiday season is going to be talking about holiday sales projections, which usually in the biz means November, December. It's been stretched out a little bit to October, but oftentimes a lost holiday in terms of seasonal sales is Halloween. And I reached out to a good friend of mine and sometime listener of the podcast, Zach. He's a bit of an expert as far as Halloween retailing is concerned. He's immersed in it during the entire course of the year. And I told him, hey, give me some information that I can steal for the podcast. And he was happy to oblige. One of the things that I personally noticed in going to stores over the last month, and he has noticed the same thing, 
is stores are being a little bit more hesitant to roll out decor early simply because we don't know, it seems like at this point, how many trick-or-treaters there are going to be out there. Again, Delta variant still causing a concern in certain areas of the country. I'm not sure if it's that or supply chain, but that's certainly something we've seen on the retail front. Other than candy, other than costumes, we haven't really seen a lot of decor hit the shelves at many retailers. One exception, he said, was Home Depot, and they are really promoting outdoor Halloween decor, which kind of goes hand in hand with that idea of, again, that nesting phenomenon we've been talking about for the last year plus, people trying to trick out their homes. Well, if you don't have trick-or-treaters, one way to let people know you're in the Halloween spirit is selling a large inflatable pumpkin skeleton type figure that goes out in the front yard. And a lot of these are value priced as compared with some of the other seasonal stores that are out there. Usually a six foot tall figure might sell for around $200. Now, as far as Spirit Halloween is concerned, I asked him about that. He said there are markups because there is an expectation of discounting through coupons. So if you don't have coupons, customers might turn away from that. He said consistently what he's seeing this year, 20 to 30% ticket prices over the main line retailers. And a different thing that he noted about them is that they're kind of the go-to place for licensed Halloween gear so far. Now, one other thing that I found was really, really interesting that he brought up was the fact that they actually held gatherings, conventions, and the like this year where people from spook houses came together, met with retailers, and bought from various vendors and that type of thing. So that might be also an area where you see retailers see a little bit of a sales boost. One final thing that he mentioned, just as an aside, he said at home, usually leading the pack in terms of decor, might be a little bit later in terms of sales cadence this year, but at home, certainly a retailer to watch out for. Overall, I'm looking ahead towards the Halloween retailing season. Oftentimes, it can be a little bit of a risk for companies like Halloween Express, for example, or Spirit Halloween. They go in, they set up, they tear down, they leave. There's a lot of costs associated with setting up. Not so much with the real estate because oftentimes they're taking over previously dead real estate. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how their sales turn out in another very unique holiday season in terms of Halloween. Because last year there was a lot of second guessing regarding trick-or-treaters. I know trick-or-treaters at my house was slowed dramatically from where it was in 2019. So I think all of that is something to watch, whether people have this pent-up demand to get going for Halloween. But one thing's for certain, you're not seeing as many shelves and retailers devoted to Halloween as far as seasonal is concerned. And you're not seeing that decor hit shelves, at least the interior decor hit shelves, quite as early this year as you might have in 2019. So I think all of that is going to be intriguing to look ahead to and see on earnings calls that come out For the third quarter, you know, oftentimes Halloween sales are discussed on those calls. See exactly where retailers are falling in. I'm anxious also to see the level of markdowns after Halloween. If there's a large amount of supply on the shelves or if supply chain issues cause a constriction in that and things run out well before October 31st. So I think this is going to tell us a lot about the potential November and December 
holiday seasons. And even though Halloween isn't necessarily a bellwether for the rest of the holiday year, one thing a lot of prognosticators are clear on is that the line has been very clearly blurred. Black Friday no longer signifies the start of the holiday shopping season. We saw it creep into October last year. Will Halloween sales kind of keep that creep going, if you will? Well, that'll do it for us here on today's show. Once again, we thank Eric for joining us. We're looking ahead to Rod Sides joining us this coming week on the show. Big thanks also to Quantum Metric for sponsoring today's podcast. I'm Trent Kling for late working behind the scenes saying so long for now. This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.